Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. How many people here would like to know a bit more about God's peace and have a bit more experience of God's peace? Great. Well, so that's what we're looking at. We're going to read from the book of Hebrews, just a few verses as we start, um, which should be up on the screen, all being well. So this is from Hebrews chapter 4, and it's a chapter that's all about God's rest which is a bit like peace. Okay, so it's God's rest, and it's about the rest that God has planned for Christians. That's us, the people of God. It's the rest that we're supposed to live in, that we're supposed to spend our whole lives in, because that's what God's made for us, a kind of wonderful place of rest and peace. Uh, we're just going to read a few verses from verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, so we, we'll come back to that. But I was thinking about peace because we are looking at this, we have this theme at the moment of circles. And I was thinking of a circle of peace that God wants us to, to be inside. And but it's not just a, a sort of static thing, but it's like the ripples on a pond. The circles get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they encompass more and more people. And that's something that God wants for us. Um, and so it's, it's not just a, a lazy, sort of laissez-faire piece, but it's something that is supposed to encompass more and more people. Uh, and I was thinking about what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. In his first... When he started the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, there's the, what we call the Beatitudes, and there's nine things that are blessed. And number eight is, blessed are the peacemakers. And I was thinking, what does that mean? What did Jesus mean by peacemakers? What does he want us to be? And you might think, you might have a thought about, the, for instance, the, the ban the bomb people, you know, in the 60s, who were against uh, nuclear armament. There were a lot of peace people in those days. Is that the sort of peace Jesus was thinking of? Well, I think he was thinking of something else, actually. Or maybe when you, you hear the word peacemaker, maybe you think of a mediator, like someone who solves disputes, someone who uh, mediates between couples, for instance, who are not finding it very easy to live together. Maybe it's that kind of peace. Well, maybe it is, but I think Jesus meant something else. So what was Jesus thinking of when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be sons of God. They'll be called sons of God. I think it was something quite important. That the idea of peace in the Bible is a very prominent theme. It goes all the way through from the beginning to the end. It's a very prominent theme. And there's a Jewish word, a Hebrew word, which is the word for peace, and it's the word shalom. And I'm sure many of you heard of shalom. In fact, the, the Jewish people still use it these days as a greeting. 
when they meet each other, they say shalom, and then they're expecting the other person to say shalom back to them. And it means peace, but it means more than just the kind of peace that we often think of. Because when we think of peace, if you're a mum, for instance, you probably think of peace. That's the time when the children are in bed and they've stopped crawling out and you get to sit down. Peace. Or uh, maybe, you know, you, you're thinking more of the conflict in the world and there's no, no end of wars for us to think about. And there always has been. In fact, all the way through uh, Israel's history, if you read the Old Testament, it's war after war after war. And so the idea of peace is quite attractive in that context. But uh, what did Jesus mean? Well, I think he was looking right back to another war. And it's the war that we read about in Genesis. Uh, because right at the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, actually declared war on God. And God, in return, declared war on them. And we're just going to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 3 about that, because it's really important that we, uh, we, we remember what actually happened. And so, if you remember, what happened was God put Adam and Eve in a garden, and it was full of wonderful things, wonderful trees, fruit, it was everywhere. Uh, it was a wonderful life. They didn't have to worry about anything. They had a wonderful relationship with God. They were carefree. And God said, you can eat any of this fruit. You can, you can just do whatever you like here, except one thing. Don't eat that fruit. In the middle of the garden is a tree. You're not to eat that fruit. And what did they do? They ate the fruit. And this is what happened. God, this is verse 9 of uh, Genesis 3. The Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you you should not eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And on it goes. And if we flip over to the end of this chapter, uh, it says in verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And we find all of a sudden, God's at war with his own creation. Warfare has been established, and God says, you're not coming back in here, and there's a flaming sword to stop you. And that's the great problem of humanity, that we've been estranged from our creator. We've, we've, war has been declared. What, what can we do about it? Well, we could do nothing about it, but of course, as we know, uh, Jesus was sent into the world to put that right. And that's, that's what the, the rest of the story of the Bible is about. It's about Jesus coming to set us right with God so that instead of war, there would be peace again. And I think that's the peace that he was talking about when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. I think he was thinking of people who 
have the peace of God already and are willing to go out and make peace for other people, peace with God. Just look at Romans, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We read one verse from, from this chapter, which really sums up this, this thought. And it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, okay, two verses, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what Jesus has done is he has established peace in here between you, your heart, and God. And that's an amazing thing. And if you're a Christian here this morning, as I think most of us are, then there will have been a day when you were confronted with your sin and your past and everything that you'd lived before, and you said, yes, I will believe in this Jesus. I will allow him to restore my relationship with God. And peace was established. But we have to live in that. It's not a one-off, that's the end of it. We have to live it out. And so we have peace with God. Let's just go back to the Hebrews passage then and have a quick look there at some of the things that it, it says about this, this peace or this rest that God has established. It says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And uh, there's, a, there's a few, um, we can have a few difficulties with this concept of, of rest and of peace and of accepting what Christ has done. I think there's two problems we could, we could divide them into. And the first problem is, it's, it seems too easy. It seems like God's done it all. So uh, we have to cease from our works, as it says there. God has sent Jesus. Jesus has died for our sins. He's paid the penalty. And this is a, a, a gift. We have to receive it as a gift. And I think a lot of people find that hard. That's a difficult thing to do sometimes, to just say, okay, I believe I receive it as a gift. But that's the nature of it. We've just been through Christmas. And imagine um, if you uh, think of one of the gifts that you received at Christmas. And we take it for granted. If somebody gives us a gift at Christmas, that's it. It's a gift. You, know, you don't sort of get on the phone to them and say, you know that, that gift, I need to know how much it cost so I can pay you back. Well, that'd be a bit insulting, wouldn't it? But that's what people do with the gospel. They say to God, yeah, I know it's a gift, but what do I have to do? What do I have to do to, to earn it, to be worthy of it? And the answer is nothing. You cease from your works. And, and that's hard to accept. Uh, most people know the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. And the Good Samaritan was a parable that Jesus told because a lawyer came to him and it says he was seeking to justify himself. And a lot of people want to do that. They want to justify themselves. You know, it's not, I don't want to be justified by Christ. I want to justify myself. I can do that. And we're like children. You know, they're like a two-year-old who thinks he can tie up his shoelaces. And then me do it, but you can't. And it's the same with salvation. God says you have to receive it as a gift. You can't justify yourself. 
but that's what the, the man uh, who came to Jesus wanted to do. In fact, quite a few people came to Jesus and said, well, what, what must I do to be saved? And that's a question a lot of people ask. And Jesus didn't actually make it clear when he was teaching, usually. He didn't actually spell it out. He left the detail for the apostles to spell out later. But what he could have said, what Jesus could have said is, well, actually, there's nothing you can do. It's absolutely hopeless. Your sin is so great that if you were to sort it out, if you were to try and pay for it, you would never pay it. You'd never get there. It's impossible. The only way you can have this gift is accepting it as a gift. And that's hard. But that's the truth. And that's what we have to do. But there's another problem. And the other problem uh, is to do with, actually, what we have to do with the gift. And there's a great paradox, like a contradiction, apparent contradiction in the gospel. And it's this, that the salvation is free. It's a gift. But at the same time, it will cost you everything. Takes a, takes a bit of getting your head around, but it's, that's the truth. It's completely free, but it'll cost you everything. And Jesus talked a lot about the cost of following him. He said, if any man would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me, lay down his life. And we said, well, hang on a minute. I thought Jesus was the one who had a cross. Yeah, but we all have a cross too. We have to lay down our lives. We have to be obedient to him on a daily basis. And it, it's, it's often painful. There's things, there's sin in us that needs to go. There's things we like to do we have to stop doing. There's things we like to think we have to stop thinking. And we actually see that right back uh, even with Adam and Eve. That uh, the, the sin that's there, it's like a cancer, really. It's like a cancer. It's got to be cut out. And that's why there's always a sword. And we, we looked at swords and seeds last year with Greg's uh, series on, on that subject. And, and so I suppose we've thought quite a lot about swords. But you notice there was a sword in the Garden of Eden. Eden. And the sword is to stop people coming back in under the radar, as it were. But sin, sin is like a cancer, and it has to be cut out. And uh, if we just go back to Hebrews 4. It says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. And then it says in the next verse, in verse 12 of chapter 4, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. And so there's a sword here too, and the sword is to, to come into our hearts and to divide between good and evil, those intentions and thoughts which are good and those which are not good. And, uh, it, and so we, although we've received a free gift, there is a life to be lived, 
which is costly at times. And Jesus often spoke about persecutions, tribulations. He said, you will have tribulations. He didn't sugarcoat the message so that that was left out. He, he told people that there were hard times sometimes to come. And so the gospel can seem too easy. Or on the other hand, for some people, it can seem too hard. What, you mean I have to give up my whole life? Yeah, that's right. You have to give Jesus your whole life. That's, that's, that's the two things that we have to hold together. And then we have peace with God. And sometimes, you know, we lose our peace because we're not listening to what God's saying. So we're not listening to the voice of this, this double-edged sword in our hearts that's coming in. We're, we're ignoring it. And so we become unsettled and we become uncomfortable because we know we're somehow we're estranged from God again until we come back and say, Lord, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying now. I can hear you're t you've been telling me about this thing and it's time to, to obey you. It's time to do what you're saying. Because as it says in Hebrews, it's a living and active sword. So this isn't like the old covenant where there's a, a list of 10 commandments written in stone that we just have to obey. This is a living sword. Jesus is the living sword. He's the word of God. And so when he speaks to us daily, it's his living word that we're obeying. And it's different for each of us. So I can't look into your life and say, you're not obeying Jesus, because I don't know what he said. And you can't do that to me. Although in fellowship, we can find the will of God together. And of course, we have the written word. But it's living and it's active. And so these are, this is how we maintain peace with God. And it's something that we all need to do. So let's go back to the pond and the ripples, because uh, let's assume that we've all found this place of peace. But Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. He's saying, I don't just want you to have peace, I want you to take my peace into the world. And each of us lives in a different pond. Think of where you live, think of the people around you, think of your neighbors, the people you know, the people who perhaps you see every day, your friends. Or think of the way you work. That's another pond. And the people that you relate to there, the people that you, you say hello to uh, every morning, the, the people that you'll see probably tomorrow morning. That's another pond. And think about what God might want you to do in taking that peace which you have into that pond into that world. I'm just going to finish with a verse, um, a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus says a challenging thing here. It's verse 34. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. What? Let me read that again. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So we've got another sword, and we've got Jesus apparently contradicting what he said earlier, which is he wants us to be peacemakers. So what does he mean? He's talking here about relationships. 
And <clears throat> if we read on, it says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me, follow after me, is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So here's this statement of what we're talking about, which is the cost of following Jesus. But the cost also affects the people we love and the people around us. And if we're going to truly follow Jesus, we need to be a little bit prepared for this sword that comes. When I was about 20, I was uh, learning more about true Christianity, although I belonged to a sect uh, which was kind of part Christian and part error. And as I discovered more, I, I realized God wanted me to leave this community of people. So I, along with a number of friends, we wrote to some of the leading lights of our community and told them what we were going to do. And it caused quite a lot of division. People said, you know, you, you have a lot of young people looking to you. They're going to lose their faith. It's going to be terrible. You're doing the wrong thing. Some people supported us. Some people rejected us. It caused division. It was like a sword going through. But it was, it was of God. And those who followed on through many years, this is, we're going 40 years back, those who have kept faith with God have been blessed. So the blessings follow. But at the time, it was painful, it was uncomfortable, and uh, it seemed, in part, it seemed, you know, is this right? But it was right. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. And I think what the way for us to take it is that Jesus wants us to, to go into this arena, this pond where we live, perhaps, or where we work, with him. If you remember, Jesus is the rock. And imagine this rock being tossed into a pond. That's what makes the ripples. It's not you so much. It's him that causes division. And it can seem, you know, might seem a little bit disruptive, might seem a little bit negative. But remember, you're taking the Son of God with you. You're taking the peace of God with you. And the effects will be that more and more people will be drawn in to that peace. And that means you'll become a peacemaker, in fact. But at the outset, it might seem you're being a troublemaker. But in fact, you'll become a peacemaker. And I think that's perhaps what God wants for us. So that his rest is for us, but it's also for others. And as Adam's already said today, you know, we need to bring people into what we enjoy here. Amen? Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.